we take our student and children's ministry serious at Stanwich Church. We believe that we are raising disciples, and we know from statistics that disciples established by the age of 14 are more likely to walk their faith throughout their whole life. So we make a great investment in it. I heard this last week that your children were in Acts, and you, they had the passage of Stephen being stoned. Now, we take it seriously. We're not just giving them the easy gospel. We're giving them the full gospel. And we have this confirmation program that is geared towards putting deep truth into our teens. Uh, we follow the Heidelberg Catechism, which was established in 1563. Uh, it excites me to think that over 450 years, Christ followers have been entrusting these truths to their children, wanting them to have a deep faith. And in a few weeks, they'll stand before you and they're going to be asked a question that's the first question from the catechism. It goes like this, what is your only comfort in life and death? And these teens are going to respond that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear that again, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. When I hear that, I go, wow, for a couple reasons. Wow, to think about a generation living that way, how it would just change the landscape of everything of our culture. But I also think, wow, because every other liturgy in this world that they're hearing from Monday to Saturday is directly in the face of that. It's hard to live in such a way that I am not my own, that I belong body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that catechism is a clue into our passage today. We're in the second week in our study of Philippians. Our title of the series is All Things Through Christ. And I noted with you last week that one of the subtexts that Paul is giving us is there's a possibility to have a joy that will allow you to stand in the face of any circumstance that would come into your life and that you would have a stability and a peace. And today we get a look into his heart of how Paul arrived at that spot. So we're going to look at this passage, chapter 1, verses 12 through uh, 23. Um, if you're following in your pew Bible, it's 1164. I recommend it because I'm just going to press into the text a little bit. There's some rich things here. Uh, I wish I, this was a John Piper-type church where we did two verses at a time because there's just so much here that I want to drive in with you. It'll help you to have your Bible in front of you as we just look at these phrases. So here's a clue to have joy in your life. And I think we all want joy. There is a real deadness in this place today. There was this morning in the 9 o'clock service, and there is now. Folks, we need joy! Okay? Paul's going to tell us how to get it, all right? Are you with me? Hey, okay, here we go. Let's start in the middle, verses 21 and 22. Uh, I would call this the thesis statement of the whole passage. We're going to go from here and then work out to other things that Paul's saying. Paul begins with, in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Boy, if we could just get our mind around that one phrase, to live is Christ. Paul gave his full life for the advancement of the name of Jesus. That's why he existed. He, he viewed his work that way. He viewed his relationships that way. He viewed all of his circumstances that way. 
Uh, remember, now in the context, he's in prison. And he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's not talking here about dying to self that we mentioned last week. Death, physical death, is pretty imminent for him. Because of what he has done in naming Jesus, there, he's a threat to the empire. And their sentence could come down at any time that says, have Paul executed. So Paul in this is saying, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But we want to know more, and he unfolds it in the following verses. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Now, for Paul, to live was to find fruitfulness in his life, and the ultimate fruitfulness was not how much money he made, uh, not how good his circumstances were, but it was how the gospel was advancing out of his life. Uh, he celebrates in the beginning of this uh, chapter uh, the joy he has in the partnership with his friends in Philippi in the advancing of the gospel. He viewed everything this way. Now, when you think of him, he's not just thinking about some general idea of church. He's thinking about people. He has Lydia in his mind. Remember the first one who came to Christ, the Philippian jailer and his family. Later on in this letter, he's going to talk to a few people, Euodia and Clement. So when he says about the partnership, it's like me saying my partnership in the gospel with Danny Agro and Bob Thompson and uh, Bebby Chickering and Judson Bergman. He feels this, and he feels the relationship to the church is not the institution of the church, but the advancement of the gospel. That's what he's living for. So for him to live this part of his life, I would call it chapter one, is to live for Christ. Then he goes on and says this, which is interesting, which I uh, shall choose, uh, boy, verse 22, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two, living for Christ and dying. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, it goes back to the understanding of the tense of that first phrase, phrase to live as Christ and to die as gain. It's an aorist past verb, so it should be to have died as gain. You see, why Paul looks towards death with excitement is because on the other side of the death, he says he's going to be with Christ. He measures everything by that aspect of being with Christ. Now, let's just be honest for a moment. When you and I think about heaven, what we do is sometimes take the very best things on earth and we make them a thousand times better in heaven, right? It, it's hard not to do that because that's our life experience. So the filet mignons are going to be bigger, the wine's going to be older, the chocolate will have no calories in it. That's where we go. For Paul, his thinking about heaven was not escaping to a place where the physical pleasures, but the escape was to be with Jesus. So for Paul, whether he's living on earth, it's about Christ, and whether he passes from this earth to the longer chapter, it's going to be even better because it's going to be about Christ. See, here's a clue to a life of joy. It's having a grid that looks at our life through the lens of Jesus Christ. Not all of the other liturgies that are poured into our life. We're told in this culture that if you have this, then you will be happy, which is then the source of joy, right? If this experience comes to you, then you'll be that. 
Paul is fully in and can view all of his situations through the grid of Christ. And so it doesn't matter what happens to him in life, he has joy. So now let's just take this idea and read it back on what he said previously. In the face of his suffering, he can have joy. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What happened to him? So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He doesn't view tribulation and trouble and suffering in his life through a lens of being inconvenienced. He's asking one question, how is Christ being proclaimed in this imprisonment? Now, prison was a little bit different for him. He was in stocks with someone else. Uh, that's not trading stocks like some of you do, but he had chains on him, and an imperial guard would have been with him all the time. And so people would have come to visit Paul, and this is what the imperial guards would have heard. People would be like, oh, Paul, how are you getting on? This must be terrible. Paul goes, this is great. I'm suffering for Christ. I'm getting a chance to proclaim the gospel. And this poor soldier, or maybe fortunate soldier, is hearing the gospel repeated over and over. And Paul says the message is going through the prison system, through the whole imperial guard, because I'm in prison. He doesn't view his situation through his own discomfort. He views it through what God is doing. He goes on and says in verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. A life rooted in Christ can give you such a joy that your circumstances will not dictate your mood. I don't know about you, but I need that, and I want to have that kind of joy. It's linked to what Peter says later in his epistle, be prepared at all times to give a reason for the hope that's within you. I have to tell you that for most of my Christian life, I didn't understand that verse, because I thought it was being ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. That only makes sense for people that are going through suffering. Now think about it for a moment. I am in the apex of an amazing life. I love my work. I have a team I like to work with. I like you, the church. We've gotten used to each other after 10 years. My family life's amazing. My daughter was engaged before Christmas. Last night, I played cards with my adult children till late. They like being with me. I like being with them. My wife has a fulfilled ministry. I have a fulfilled ministry. I live in a warm house. I have two fireplaces. I sit in front of one of them almost every day. I drive a nice car. I'm going on vacation in Mexico in two weeks. Nobody's coming up to me and going, Chuck, what's the reason for the hope within you? Right? Because everyone thinks, well, those are all the things that would make you hopeful. But those of you who are going through difficult times and struggles and have not had things turn out the way you desired, when you live with the objective that Christ is everything and people see joy coming out of you, they're going to go, What's the reason for the hope within you? All of a sudden, our suffering has meaning. 
Now, I don't want to trivialize suffering because there's an element of suffering that feels rather arbitrary. It's not linked to the gospel. I think all of us would be glad to be persecuted for proclaiming the name of Christ. It gets really hard when it's just part of the broken world that we're in, and it seems like affliction comes our way. But God even has the ability to redeem that. Because it may be arbitrary that the kingdom of darkness is trying to mess up your world, but God has the ability to come in and to redeem that and make it as a testimony unto the power of Christ in your life. Folks, that's good news. That's the gospel. Paul knows how to deal with opposition. Verses 15 to 18, he talks about these different people that are preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons. We can tell in the way he suggests that there's people that are giving him a hard time. I like Paul's line, "Eh, if I get a hard time or not, who cares? Christ is being preached. This is his life. He's saturated with Jesus. And what he's saying to the Philippian church, he's saying to us is, this can be your life too. That the gospel offers you not only the promise of eternal life that will keep you from fearing physical death, it will offer you abundant life that in the midst of a broken world, even as God is using you to speak to this broken world and to touch it, that his joy can cause you to have a testimony that outshines anything in your life. That's good news. So what's the so what? Well, Paul gives it here in this passage. Verse 27, he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Wow, what a phrase. Follower of Christ, here is a mission for you. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what is the gospel of Christ? Paul summarizes it in 1 Corinthians, in the great resurrection passage. He said it's Christ crucified, Christ buried, and Christ risen against the penalty of sin and the results of death that would strike against us. Good news, gospel, is what soldiers would do after a war. They would come back into town to announce victory had been won. Good news is the declaration of Jesus Christ over our lives that the thing that was our greatest enemy, sin, and the result of death has been defeated and that the power of God is found, the power of salvation is found in the gospel for us. It changes everything about our reality. I can no longer look at things in the natural. I have to look at them in the way God sees them. Now, Paul gives us some interesting clues embedded in the text. This is why I wish we could do two verses at a time. Paul's writing to the city of Philippi, it was a strong Roman colony. It had all of the essence of Romanness. When you walked into Philippi, you saw Rome strutting the empire everywhere it went. Education was the best. You had your best soldiers there. This is where soldiers would come and retire. That's why when you read the letter to the Philippians closely, Paul keeps using military words throughout the text because there would have been military people in uh, the church hearing this. In the process uh, of writing this, this word, manner of life, he uses a Greek word, politeo, which is we get our word politics or public duties. It could be citizenship. 
What Paul is suddenly saying to them is, you have a citizenship that's far deeper than the one you take pride in in Philippi. You have a citizenship in a kingdom that is the bearer of this gospel of Christ. And if you will find your identity in that citizenship versus the other one, you will have a life that is worthy of the gospel. Literally, it will be weighty. It will have gravitas. So what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, people, do you want to have a life of gravitas? Do you want to have a life that makes a difference? Do you want to have a life that's rooted? Do you want to have a life? It's not going to come by finding your citizenship in the Roman Empire. It's going to be by finding your citizenship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul walks into the sandwich sanctuary this morning because the Holy Spirit is still using this word for the church. And he's saying, saints at Stanwich, if you want to have a life of gravitas, it's not going to be by taking your identity in your American citizenship. It's not going to be by taking your identity in the fact that you live in Greenwich or Stamford. It's not going to be taking your identity whether you live in Larchmont or Portchester. It's not going to be taking your identity whether you are part of the greater Metro New York or New England, even though your football team did really well last night. That is not going to be your identity. Your citizenship is something far greater. If you want gravitas in your life, if you want gravitas for your children, if you want gravitas back in our culture, it's going to be found in Christ. He says, if you want the things that I'm experiencing in life, a life of joy and rejoicing, a life of peace that I fear nothing coming down the road at me, death or anything else, it's found in being rooted in the community. He goes on to talk about striving together as the community that's rooted in Jesus Christ. You know what's going to save us? Well, we should start this way. You know who's going to save us? Jesus. And what will temporarily save us is a group of people who find their identity in a better place. I don't need to begin listing all the liturgies that you're told all week long that you need to attach your identity to. They're a false birthright. We're trading a true birthright, a citizenship in the gospel for a false birthright. All for a bowl of porridge. So saints, press into Jesus. We sang it today. First hymn, Jesus, you command my destiny. Second chorus, in every eye that sees me, Christ be all around me. The way we're saturated Sunday morning here, we need to be saturated Monday through Saturday. Not as a legalism and a work, but out of the flow of what we already have in Christ Jesus Paul knew that Christ had established these things for him and he's taking a hold of them so that his circumstances weren't speaking his identity and reality. Jesus was speaking out his identity and his reality. And he had a joy that no one could take away from him. 
I have a friend, his name's Sammy Dagger. He lives in Lebanon. Strong Christian, been a pastor for a long time. Many of his nephews and sons have been involved in uh, pastoral ministry. I've gotten to know a number of them. Sammy was a, came a Christian when it was very difficult to be a Christian. He's been threatened by his life repeatedly, but he lives like the Apostle Paul. For me to live is Christ, and to have died, boom, far better for me. I'm with Christ. So he never measured his circumstances based on if he was in danger or if he was going to get something forward. It was all about Christ. He would take uh, uh, vehicles filled with Bibles and run them into Iraq and drop them off and turn around and run them back out. And people say, are you crazy? He says, oh, no, we've got to get Christ out to the people. Never forget the story he told one time. He had a suitcase full of them, and he got caught at some border. And they took him out, and they tried to threaten him. They put him down on his knees. They put a gun to his head. They said, what is this? And he said, this is the good news. This is the news that God loves you. And he's just pronouncing the gospel while they're threatening him. They keep pressing the gun even harder into his head. They said, you need to renounce this. He goes, I'll never renounce this. You can kill me now because I'll be with Jesus in the next moment. But I suggest you keep the Bible because you're going to need it. <laughs> they got so frustrated with him, they gave him his Bible and said, keep on going. Now, the truth of the matter is none of us are probably going to have a gun put our, to our head. Right? But we have the enemy of our soul who's trying to kill us from experiencing everything that God has for us, which is his joy and his peace and his hope. And all he does is keep flashing our circumstances and our culture before us. Don't buy that liturgy. Go with Paul's liturgy and dive into Jesus. I wish I could give you a formula or a quick trick, trip, uh, quick way to get there. I'm reading my 1999 journal right now. I've been journaling for over 30 years, each day writing prayers and observations from my life and what God has said to me. And every year I say, Lord, tell me which journal I'm supposed to read this year. And he told me, go back and read 1999. It's amazing to me as I read it because... As I've pressed into Jesus, the challenges and the questions are still the same, but the sense of reality of how he's present in them gets richer every day. So all it is is a long, slow journey of pressing into Jesus. And on the backside, we will be people who have taken our inheritance to live as Christ, and to have died is gain. Amen.